Hello again, and welcome back to IoT Innovation. Today, we've titled the show Make It So, which might be the instruction from a lot of CEOs in the wireless industry to talk about IoT. What we're going to reflect on today is the interviews and reality of that over the last eight weeks. Telecom Careers, the number one global telecom and wireless job board. Telecomcareers.com. Comscope, thinking beyond today's technology to help you make the best decision for your network and your business. Welcome back to IoT Innovation. Uh, today, the show is a little bit of a recap. Uh, Nick and I have spent the last eight weeks taking you on a tour of some of the industry uh, leading involved uh, industry executives on IoT, uh, which truly isn't an industry. It's, it's a, a confluence of, of all the various parts of the information that we can absorb presented to us in various different ways and on different devices and using different sensors. So Nick, thanks for joining today. What we're going to just walk through a little bit is, is uh, thoughts and reflections over the last few weeks. I mean, we've had a pretty interesting uh, set of guests, in my opinion. I mean, of the interviews that, that I've been part of, um, we've talked around people like uh, Jerry from the Wireless Research Center looking at some of the RF uh, issues that happen with all these random devices that are being created without necessarily all the wireless expertise to back them up. Um, we've looked at some of the interest and, and involvement of groups like ARM, and Ian talked about some of the semiconductor process and even the, uh, the, the developer process that they've been working through. Um, what, one of the areas I think we have both really hit upon here is, is the user experience, and we'll come back to that in a second. Uh, and then really that came in from Simon at Apitalism, where he took us on a, a grand tour of his house in Florida showing us the way he personally is using IoT in many ways, as well as what he's seen with his customers in Latin America. Uh, and, then, and then lastly, and, and maybe on a bit of a tangent, the, the last interview I did was with Steve at Millsoft, where he was explaining some of the ways the utility industry is really waking up and changing their business model completely. Um, and, and not just in ways that we see every day uh, as users of electricity and other utilities, but also in the way they've changed their, their whole business model. So talk a little bit maybe about the, the people that you've been uh, interviewing over the last few weeks and, and some of the reflections that you've had, because it's, it's, been, it's been a fun set of people, I think. Yeah, so a couple of standouts. You know, we talked to Richard Banfield from uh, Fresh Tilled Soil. They're a user experience design firm outside of Boston that have worked on a lot of interesting projects um, for, for big and small clients. Um, you know, and, and Richard had some pretty strong views about where IoT was and wasn't working, uh, most of which, frankly, I, I agree with. Um, and last week we had, uh, we had Bogdan from uh, ModCamp, and they're basically working on um, a slightly different take on IoT. They're putting uh, smart computer vision 
in IoT nodes. So the, the little device on the edge of your network, instead of it having to send lots of data uh, across the network, it's instead sending intelligent data that it's gotten from the video screen. So for example, uh, instead of sending you security footage of your facility, it would send you a notification that a person has been detected walking in front of the camera. Um, both of which are, you know, very, uh, very interesting perspectives to, uh, to keep in mind. I think fundamentally the, the big takeaway for me at this point um, is one that we've, we've talked about before. I think we talked about it in episode one. IoT is a really big, diverse field. And it's kind of loosely glued together because of what it is. But really, every single application is very different with a very different set of needs, both technically and in terms of, of what the user actually needs. Um, it's really, it's kind of akin to saying we make software, right? We make IoT products is, is like saying, yeah, we, we make software. Well, what kind of software? What vertical is it for? What problem does it solve? IoT has become such a buzzword so quickly that I really think that, uh, you know, people are kind of ignoring the fact that it is just an umbrella term for a very diverse set of technologies and problems that are, that are being solved. Um, and, and there's just, you know, there's a lot of different verticals buried in there, all of which are going to have pretty unique needs. And fundamentally, I think it comes down to that, that basic question of what is the problem you are trying to solve? When you have a device uh, that you're building, uh, that's, if it's an IoT device, it's inherently hardware and software working together with a user experience. But if it doesn't solve a specific problem, you're really no better off. It may look great, it may work great, but if it doesn't tackle something and make something better, then fundamentally it's a waste of time. And I think, the, I think my favorite phrase from, from all of the interviews was uh, Richard Banfield's comment about user experience basically being like a superpower. You know, what does this IoT device allow you to do that is basically akin to having a superpower? You know, does it give you remote vision? Is it a device that is in the corner of the factory that you can't usually get to and it tells you useful information about the equipment that's sitting there? Does it improve your hearing somehow, right? Do you now know when uh, certain audio triggers happen in an environment or temperature changes or, you know, what kind of remote sensing is it enabling? How does it make you more superhuman than not having the product. Um, and, and I think that's a pretty good lens to, to look at all IoT projects through, right? What fundamentally is the problem this is solving? How's it making me more of a superhero uh, in my day-to-day -day life? Yeah, I think that that's absolutely right. And I think reflecting a little on the interview that, that I did with Ben Wood, um, Ben was great because he was able to reach into his uh, drawers and cabinets in his office and pull out all sorts of great devices. Um, I guess the big question is, the fact that they were in the drawer in the first place said that many of them are not being used on a day-to-day -day basis. And certainly, um, you know, that's his business and he's working with all these devices very, very frequently. But I know personally, I have, uh, you know, to the frustration of my wife and family, I have drawers and drawers and drawers of devices and the associated cables and connectors that go with them uh, all over the house. And, and this is a real problem that if you're buying a device, if you're buying um, yet another smartwatch or yet another fitness-based device, if it changes the way you behave in a fundamental way, and this sometimes comes back to user experience, but, but, but as well as that, it comes back to its core functionality in the first place. If it doesn't change the way you, you operate, 
then soon you're going to forget to charge it, you will leave it at home and then you will stop using it. And I think this is the challenge is rising above that noise of, of having these devices that truly become embedded in your life. And I, I have a kind of firmly held belief at this stage in these discussions on IoT, that this is exactly what you said about superpowers. Um, it is not about the necessarily only the sensing of, of your own uh, um, dynamic range of, of measurements on a daily basis. It's much more actually about the, the managing of things that, that are remote from you. So this is the managing of things that you care about, whether it is your house or your other property, or whether it is your family and friends, or if it is, is your, your children or your pets. And I think at the end of the day, if, if this is monitoring the way that uh, these associated things are behaving, you have a peace of mind. And I think the real problem and the real solution here is remote peace of mind. That's the superpower that this, this gives you uh, if it's done properly. And right now I still see too little examples of, of things done properly. So maybe coming on from that a little bit, I mean, we've started looking at more of an international audience and, or inter, an international um, interviewees over the last few weeks. We'll continue to do that as we go forward. What, what do you think about some of the opportunities there in terms of emerging markets and some of the lessons that we're going to get from those from those uh, other areas? So, I, you know, I think broadly, a lot of the, in terms of noise, right, and, and what we hear about the most, I think sort of the, you know, the Western developed world is really focused on using IoT for incremental improvements in sort of quality of life, right? Can I, can I track my fitness activities? Can I have a button that I press that delivers more laundry detergent? without me actually having to, you know, God forbid, go down to the grocery store and buy some. Um, so, the, the, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of classic Silicon Valley hype, right? Do we really need that? I, I don't know. Um, I, I think a lot of it is really sort of incremental improvements that maybe aren't that terribly useful in the big, in the big scheme of things. That being said, I think around the world, you know, globally, I think there are really big opportunities to radically change quality of life uh, for people. Um, I'm not sure who makes money from that in, in the big picture, um, but you know there, there, there are so many opportunities where remote sensing of some kind would actually dramatically improve the life of a population, whether it is uh, you know, remote monitoring of flood levels, so you get an advanced warning of something, um, monitoring the amount of water that's being spent uh, by factories and agriculture. You know, certainly California, I think, would benefit dramatically right now from a lot more remote sensing on the ground so they could solve their, their drought problem. Um, it seems like there are a lot of big, really radical changes that you could drive with a good IoT solution. But again, I'm not sure who pays for it and who makes money for it. So I think what we're left with is, is in the short term anyway, is a lot of these incremental kind of nice to have gadgets for, for want of a better phrase. Um, so I, I should be you know, curious to see what happens over the next couple of years as uh, overseas markets that perhaps have a little more determination to go after you know, bigger changes um, uh, start to, to get up to speed on the IoT uh, bandwagon. Yeah, I think the, the one of the interesting discussions we had was within Ferguson at Arm, and 
the fact that their team are looking globally about uh, at different ways the technology is being used. And I certainly have seen this over the last 10 years in, for example, mobile payments. And some of the commentators on mobile payments have really made the, the clear distinction between mobile payments methods that grew up in, uh, in uh, West and mobile payments that have, that have grown from developing countries out of needs and a slightly different infrastructure. And I think if you're able to operate on uh, a much smaller device, on a much simpler device, on a much less robust network, then chances are your raw service and your code is going to be cleaner and more uh, effective when it's scaled to uh, developed markets. And I think that's, that's a big lesson that we are going to see learnt in IoT by companies in this space. Because I think if, if the companies that are leading the technology are in the US, for example, or Western Europe or, or some parts of Asia, then I think the challenge is they have to know where the money's coming from. They have shareholders. They have commitments that they have to meet. So for them to be looking in overseas markets that are in developing countries, they have to tie the need to the money. And I think this is going to be a real challenge uh, in their, their scouting, their innovation management process. If they're only looking in a 20-minute radius of um, San Francisco or a 20-minute radius of Cambridge, Massachusetts or, or the UK or Tel Aviv, I mean, there's a lot of uh, pockets of innovation around the world that are clearly doing some amazing things. But I think in terms of emerging business models, I agree with you that I see a lot of these coming out of some, some uh, probably non-obvious locations. Um, so so one, other, one other area, one other uh, discussion point we've tried to take with some of our guests is to ask, okay, what do they see on their travels as killer apps, killer devices, uh, killer use cases? Um, have you got some reflections there in terms of the, the people that you've talked to both um, for, for this program, but also outside as we've been going about some of our customer meetings in the last few months? So, you know, I think one of my favorite examples uh, comes from the IoT World Conference uh, with the, the folks at uh, uh, Adidas, because, you know, they, they basically built this whole team training uh, platform that is really uh, a, a classic IoT play, right? It's a device that all the players uh, wear um, that reports all kinds of biometric uh, data and, and stats in real time. And the thing that I think makes it particularly compelling is that Adidas really focused on what the coach, who was the end user, really needed to see. So rather than give the coach pages and pages of, of data that you know, would be very interesting but not instantly actionable, they boiled it down to a couple of key metrics, like is this player tired? Is the player overexerting themselves? Is the player apparently underexerting themselves? You know, how many calories are they burning? Uh, how much energy are they, are they expending? Do they need to be rested? You know, things that a coach can instantly look at and say, okay, that player needs to come off the field. This player needs to be uh, uh, told to work harder. You know, this player is trying too hard. Um, real actionable data that significantly improves the performance of the team. Um, for me personally, uh, I'm still using my uh, Moto 360. Um, I, I'm less enthusiastic about the latest Android Wear update uh, because it seems to have made the thing a bit more complicated. And I really like the simplicity of it before. Um, you know, I think there's a, there's a push to put more functionality into the watch, and I'm not 
not sure that's actually a good direction to go in. Um, but I find it a genuinely useful object. Um, if I leave the house without it, I, I definitely regret it. Um, I'm not sure I'm quite at the point that I turn around. It depends how far away I've gone. Um, but it's a device that I use a lot, and I find it very, uh, very helpful um, in, in a lot of different circumstances. Um, I've been using the Amazon Echo device. Uh, it was, you know, Richard was uh, tearing into that during our um, uh, our discussion because of some of the issues that, that the user experience has. Um, but it's been pretty interesting to see my family interact with the device. And we have a common point now for um, shopping requests. Now, admittedly, for my kids, that usually ends up being candy and chocolate that they put on the list. But nevertheless, um, you know, we've got a very easy mechanism now just to have a group shared uh, shopping list of things we've run out of. Um, so it's not exactly life-changing, but it, it is somewhat life-improving. Um, stepping back a bit from the things I've been you know, directly using myself, you know, I think I think there's some really big opportunities, um, and, and people are chasing them down. But in healthcare and senior care, you know, I have uh, uh, on my uh, on my father's side, I have a, an elderly grandmother um, who was living alone until uh, relatively recently, and she was she was coping okay, but she was 200 miles away from where my parents live, and you know, she had a habit of not answering the phone because she's got a little deaf. Um, and so my parents basically had no choice but to get in the car and drive down to check up on her on a, on a regular basis. And IoT, some of the applications of IoT could have made that a lot simpler. You know, you could have installed uh, ModCam, for example, in, in some form that would let you know that she was up and about and moving from one room to another. And it wouldn't be transmitting the video, so it's not really invading her privacy. But it is at least letting us know that, yes, she woke up and got out of bed at 8 o'clock in the morning. She moved to the kitchen. She was in the kitchen for 20 minutes, and then she moved to the living room um, or, you know, whatever is a, is a normal pattern. Um, I think that has huge potential. I also think for people that have, uh, you know, a whole variety of medical conditions, especially ones that need constant monitoring like diabetes um, and heart conditions and so forth, you know, being able to really have a near real-time track um, I, I think is you know really going to meaningfully change the lives of people um, people with uh, you know things like epilepsy too right for concerned family members being able to check in with you very easily and know that you're you're well um, I, you know that that's a big deal um, it probably extends to you know things like uh, depression and, and various other conditions where really all you need is just to check in and say yeah I'm okay um, it's a very simple device, but it needs to be wrapped in the right user experience to, to make it valuable. But when it is, I think that can be incredibly valuable for, for a pretty broad population. Um, so healthcare and senior care, for sure. You know, we're seeing a lot around uh, personal improvement. Um, I don't know how much that's really going to have long-term legs um, uh, for, for regular personal improvement like fitness uh, basic fitness well-being it seems like that's just going to get subsumed into part of a bigger device you know the the moto for example or the apple watch you know they do step counting and pulse counting and things like that um, i don't think it's a huge stretch to see a device like that becoming more multi-purpose over time um, but uh, you know those, those seem like the big areas um, uh, here i think globally the whole concept of remote monitoring of scarce resources, um, I think that that has potential to pay off in spades. Um, whether it's water, whether it's pollution, 
uh, whether it's pollen counts in the air, you know, the ability to deploy a cheap sensor that is basically communicating a significant amount of data that can then be analyzed and combined and turned into both a reactive model where you're alerting somebody to something that's happening, but also a better predictive model for future reference. You know, those are incredibly powerful opportunities. Yeah, exactly. I think the peace of mind element here in all of those is, is a critical component of what, what will make uh, IoT uh, explode even more than it has already. I think the um, what, one of the tests that I've put to, to, with technology for many years is the, uh, the wife test. Um, my wife particularly is not an early adopter by any means. In fact, I think she's quite proud of not being an early adopter at most times. But um, I came back after a few days away the last uh, week and discovered that she was speaking to the Amazon Echo. And frankly, I did not ever think that would happen. So for that to have only taken a few weeks was pretty remarkable. And I think that's going to be one of the key um, watch points for technology as we move this forward is to see how the, the, the regular consumer, the non-technical, the, the person that's not involved in the IoT industry actually looks at IoT and decides to, to use it and decides it's critical to them, not just to those of us that, that like having drawers full of lots of wires. So I think that's that's going to be a key point in terms of the business model is how are our regular people going to adopt some of these things and really use them on a, on a daily basis. Um, so, so maybe coming on from that, one of the one of the areas that I really wanted to, to tackle and to, to get your thoughts on, uh, having uh, talked to a few of these industry uh, executives, was the, the, the topic of regulation. Um, you know, we're dealing with um, quite a lot of, of quite, actually quite a, an amazing amount uh, of, of public discussion on um, the internet becoming a utility in the US. Um, the FCC and, and Tom Wheeler's being extremely vocal and active in changing the way we think about data. And, and, and forcing the industry to change the way they act because of that. Um, what do you think about regulatory control, regulatory direction in this case? And how do you see that really uh, driving or helping IoT? I know that's kind of deliberately a leading question because I, I, have, I have a very strong view to the contrary, but, but I, I just want to kind of look at how regulation impacts an industry in its, in its early stages. Yeah, so, um, I mean, I guess broadly my take on regulation at this stage in IoT's life um, is it would be sort of like bad software for your GPS. You're far more likely to end up driving into a ditch and have bad things happen to you. Um, as a software guy, I really like the internet model. Um, yes, it's messy, but it's open. Nobody owns it. Um, a lot of the code that makes the internet run is completely transparent. Anybody can go in and look at it, which improves security overall. Um, and, and no one group controls it. And, and frankly, I think regulators would really mess it up. Um, I know there are concerns, very valid concerns, about data privacy um, and data ownership, but you know, frankly, I would rather see those, uh, as the saying goes, come out in the wash than be regulated by people that really don't understand the technology or the use cases. Um, you know, I can give you a bunch of examples for, you know, right now, um, in some of the blogs I read, there's been a lot of coverage about the government insistence on including backdoors for various encryption methods so that the government can always access data. 
And whilst on the surface, that sounds like a, you know, a, a decent idea, right? Law enforcement should be able to unencrypt things that might be uh, damaging or, or uh, contain sensitive material or whatever. But the reality is, if you build a massive secure uh, wall around something with a nice big secure door, and then you make a key that can open the door and mitigate all of that security, you've basically, no matter what, you've, you've opened a huge weakness in it. And there is no guarantee that whoever has that key, first of all, can't share it, and second of all, is always going to use it in a, in a, in a trustworthy manner. Um, so, you know, that's, that's one example. It's, it's a fundamentally foolish assertion um, being pushed kind of in the guise of regulation um, that uh, having a backdoor to encryption good idea. You can take any encryption expert on the planet and ask them about it, and they will give you a very convincing set of arguments as to why it's the dumbest thing they've ever heard. Um, another example would be drones. If you look at uh, adoption and use of drones in business in the U.S., it has clearly been hampered by the fact that the FAA have been dragging their feet so hard. You know, Amazon are testing their drones up in, in Canada and various other overseas markets. Um, you know, the process of regulation got into the drone market very early. And yes, there are legitimate safety concerns, but the reality is government moves really slowly and technology moves really fast. And the two are always going to be awkward bedfellows. Um, autonomous cars is another great example. You know, you've already got the UK announcing that they're going to let autonomous cars on the road in limited numbers. Um, I believe as long as they conform to, uh, to current safety standards. You've got Germany doing much the same thing. And in the US, we still haven't even really started that debate yet. So you know that at the moment, most of the interesting development work in autonomous cars isn't going to get tested here and isn't going to get launched here. Um, so, I, you know, I think we're... Anytime regulation comes in before an industry really matures, I think you run the risk of just derailing the entire thing and bogging it down. And the real innovation is just going to go elsewhere where they don't have to deal with that. Yeah, I think, I think when you mix uh, regulation and also the other aspect, uh, which is typically the challenge of regulation and, and uh, the lobbying required to pass or overturn a vote, I think the two combine to just slow down any industry. And as a result, I think the autonomous cars is a great example. Um, I've seen so much effort put into stick with the the, uh, the status quo, uh, even when it's slowing down a technology advancement that, that then maybe can go overseas. Um, you know, we've also seen business models be overturned recently. Groups like Airbnb and Uber that we've talked about in previous shows. You know, the, these are radically changing the ways people do business. And yes, there are needs to be controls and safety and security elements in place and the appropriate insurances and taxes and, and all of that stuff. Uh, I get that. But I think that fundamentally, it, you know, when you're changing a business model, you're breaking current rules and you're not going to make an omelette without breaking some eggs. And OK, it needs to be swept up and cleaned up afterwards. But I think that's the nature of progress. So you need you need a, a little bit of a maverick attitude to try and uh, change things and I think IOT is, is definitely no exception. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, you know, Uber and Airbnb are both very interesting examples in that they're a radical change. Um, they really are pitted directly against some very entrenched interests um, that clearly have access to politicians. Um, and, you know, most of the complaints that are, that are coming against Uber, for example, are from the groups that stand to benefit from the current medallion system with taxis. Um, it's not even the taxi drivers themselves. Um, and, you know, frankly, my experiences over the last year of taking Uber cabs 
um, in various big cities has been far better than my experience with, with taxis. You know, mostly, I mean, because of the technology, the Uber shows up on time, you know where it is, you know who you're meeting with, you know when they're right around the corner. Um, it's a very seamless experience. Whereas, you know, in a cab, half the time, if you call ahead, they don't show up, or more than half, depending on the city you're in. Um, when they do show up, uh, you know, off you go. Some of them, I guess, you know, they're all supposed to take credit cards. Some will, some won't. Some of the machine's broken. You know, some make it very clear that they're not happy about that. I mean, it's, it's, it's a transformative experience. And whilst I have no time for the, uh, uh, the, the, sort of uh, macho bravado that, the, that uh, Uber has been associated with in some areas. You know, I was talking to one of the drivers in, in San Francisco and she's putting herself through college by driving for Uber 30 hours a week. That's a pretty transformative thing, it really is. Um, and same with Airbnb, especially in areas where property prices have gone up so much, people are meaningfully supplementing their income with this entirely new uh, business model. And, you know, I think you're going to see that more in IoT. Um, I'm just not sure quite how it's going to play out because we're, we're at such an early stage. Well, I think, you know, we've talked about autonomous cars and then kind of led into Uber. I think, as we've mentioned before, the one of the largest IoT devices that we're all going to be handling will be a vehicle. And that's when you start to realize that or when you start to think, okay, well, actually the IoT device is my whole house. Um, it really starts to take, in, take on a number of different um, impacts in the way we lead our lives. So, so just, just to finish up, I mean, over the next few weeks, what we're looking to do is add in into our guest list some companies that are involved in the graphics industry. Um, we've got some people that are, that are involved heavily in the entertainment industry and a number of different facets of that, actually. Um, we have mobile operators, both North American mobile operators, as well as uh, one operator in, in, in uh, Western Europe that we'll be talking to. And please continue to send in uh, recommendations of guests that you would like to speak, have us speak with and uh, comment on this industry. Uh, one of the areas that we're seeing here, both Nick and I, is that this the IoT is impacting every boardroom around the world in different countries, different companies, different markets that really are not normally considered part of the wireless industry. And, and this is very, very important. So if there's, if there's uh, groups that you'd like to hear from, then please let us know. So with that, um, we'll finish up for this week. Nick, thanks for joining. And uh, we'll be uh, interviewing more people over the next few weeks and look forward to getting your feedback. Thank you very much again. Bye for now. IoT Innovation is a production of RCR-TV. To reach Chris Hare or suggest a show topic for IoT Innovation, you can reach Chris at cbh at ntete.com. To find out more about IoT Innovation and all things wireless, visit rcrwireless.com.